God changed my message again. So uh, turn to uh, Psalm chapter 50 and verse 7. Psalm chapter 50 and verse 7. We're going to read the most of this chapter and then a couple of verses in chapter 51 as well. I can remember as as a little boy singing hymns of praise to God. I knew all of them by heart, but my heart was not engaged. And I was just going through the motions. And I remember after being saved, the difference in my worship, because now my heart was changed and I wanted to honor God and please God with my worship. Now, I've not always done that in the way that I need to, but uh, that's been my desire. The Bible says that uh, God spoke through Amos the prophet, And he said to the people of Israel, he said, I hate your worship because you are worshiping idols. Yeah, you're coming to the the temple. Yeah, you're giving your your offerings uh, on the altar and so forth. But your heart does not belong to God. And so um, Amos Amos shared that with the people. Uh, You know, God cares about our hearts. Man looks at the outer appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so for worship to be pleasing to God, it needs to come from in here. Um, We need to worship God from the heart, not only to please and honor Him, but because that brings a blessing to us as well, as we're going to see. Two different psalmists write these two different chapters, but they're grouped together. Uh, I think they're probably grouped together uh, because both of them deal with sin and both of them deal with sacrifice. Um, Sacrifice in the Old Testament uh, was a picture, as we know, of what Jesus would come to do. But it was also a picture of worship. And so uh, when you were an Israelite, you would come with your sacrifice. uh, You would confess your sin over the sacrifice. Uh, the, the priest would then take that and offer it. Uh, you would you'd often pray uh, there at the tabernacle or at the temple. There'd be songs of praise uh, sung. And, and uh, sometimes they would even seek direction from God through the Urim and Thummim, which were these things in the, in the high priest's breastpiece. Uh, but the center of worship was the tabernacle and the temple. And these sacrifices were part and parcel of everything that took place. Uh, If you've ever read through the book of Leviticus and wondered, how in the world does this apply to me, uh, you're going to learn about that tonight. Uh, Because both of these psalmists, Asaph and also David, uh, share uh, the significance of sacrifice and the fact that it's not really sacrifice in the Old Testament sense of the word that God is most concerned with. God is concerned with the heart. Now, uh, as we come to him with our heart, then he says, I'll show you the way of salvation. And so uh, that way of salvation was yet to come with Jesus Christ. And so um, people were saved through Christ in the Old Testament on credit, just like we're saved today. Uh, But uh, there are different blessings under this new covenant in which we live. So, worship that pleases God. Uh, we need to worship from the heart uh, and, and worship in the ways that please 
God. And that's the title of my message is worship that pleases God. So look with me at Psalm 50 verse 7. Listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. I do not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your household or male goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and everything in it is mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice a thank offering to God and pay your vows to the Most High. Call on me in the day of trouble and I will rescue you and you will honor me. But God says to the wicked, what right have you to recite my statutes or to take my covenant on your lips? You hate instruction and turn your back on my words. When you see a thief, you make friends with him. You associate with adulterers. You unleash your mouth for evil and harness your tongue for deceit. You sit maligning your brother, slandering your mother's son. You have done these things and I kept silent. You thought I was just like you, but I will rebuke you and lay out the case before you. Understand this, you who forget God, or I will tear you apart and there will be no one to rescue you. Whoever sacrifices a thank offering honors me, and whoever orders his conduct, I will show him the salvation of God. Now flip over to Psalm 51 and verse 16. You do not want a sacrifice, or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. Your sacrifice, or the sacrifice pleasing to you, is a broken spirit, God. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart. Worship that pleases God. Uh, he's going to talk about uh, the sacrifices that are offered. Now, he's mentioned the sin that has polluted their worship, and there's a call to repentance here. But there's also an exhortation, uh, an encouragement this is what I want in worship. And so we find that in chapter 50 and verses 14 and 15. He says, sacrifice a thank offering to God. Um, the word translated thank offering in my translation is a, a Hebrew word which can mean a thank offering or an offering of praise or a song of praise. Um, but it's not just the, the singing or the, the, the praise, but it is that this praise comes from the heart. And so he says, look, I want you to sacrifice this to me. Sacrifice to God. And actually, if you look in the Hebrew, uh, this, this idea of to God is emphasized. He's saying, look, I don't want you to just go through the motions when you worship me. I want you to praise me from the heart. And so the first thing um, in worshiping that pleases God, how, do you, how can you do that, is to praise your God. And it's this praise from the heart. And it's praise that is focused upon God. Um, ultimately, the audience in a worship service is not the people out here in the pews. The audience is God. The worship service is not about us, it's about the Lord. And so when we worship God, we are to be focused on Him. 
You say, well, in the New Testament, it says sing uh, uh, to, to one another in, in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Uh, speak to each other in these things. And it is true that we can encourage others through music. But what is the primary way that we encourage others through music? By reminding them who God is. And so even that has a, a, a Godward focus. Um, ultimately, it's not about our program. Uh, it's not about even uh, the, the message itself when we're, when we're singing. It is about God. And so that focus needs to be upon Him. And when we worship to Him and we praise to Him and we sing to Him, He is honored. And what happens is we enter into His presence. Uh, the Bible says in Psalm 100, enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. We draw near through this worship. And so God says, this is what I want. If, there's a, if it's either offer a bull or sing a song of praise to me, I'll take the song of praise. Or I'll take the words of thanksgiving. Um, so this attitude of thanksgiving and praise, it's not just in the singing in the worship service corporately, but it's in our private lives as well, in our personal time with God. God says, this is what I want. And so when you read those sacrifice sections of the Old Testament, one of the things you ought to think uh, when you read it, especially with the burnt offering, which is a picture of praise, um, as well as some other things, but uh, you ought to think about worshiping and praising God. Say, Lord, here's my offering of, of praise to you. Uh, I'm not offering you a bull. Jesus has paid the price. I don't need a bull, but I will offer you praise and thanksgiving. And uh, when I come in an attitude of praise and thanks to God, I draw near to Him. Now, also, it changes my heart. Have you ever noticed how just a few moments of thanksgiving and praise to God can touch us and, and, and just change the way we're thinking? Um, there have been times where I have begun to, to, to think negatively and and either I'm reminded or, or maybe the Holy Spirit brings it to mind um, that I need to thank God. And I'll begin to thank God. And it's amazing, just in taking a step of the will to thank God for some good thing in your life or even the negative things in your life, how God will shift your heart and your attitude will change and your outlook will change all because of praising the Lord. And so... Worship like this pleases God. Uh, this praise, this thanks, these songs that are directed toward God, that are focused on Him. Um, wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it be an amazing thing if people were so focused on God in a worship service, they weren't noticing what somebody else is wearing. They weren't noticing what, uh, who's passing a note or who's... Uh, uh, whispering in the back or who came in late but they're focused on God and they're, they're engaged in worship that's the idea here so um, praising God now if you send somebody a letter you are addressing it to a person right you're speaking to a person if you send somebody a love letter you are sending a letter that talks about the things that you love about them and what you're thankful for about that person. And uh, it, it, it is focused on their attributes. That's what praise is. 
praise is basically a love letter in a prayer that is spoken to God. It, it, a love letter in a song that is sung to God. Uh, and so as we do that, um, God is honored and it delights his heart. So it is worship that pleases God. So how can we offer worship that pleases God? Praise your God. Secondly, fulfill your vows. Verse 14, sacrifice a thank offering to God and pay your vows or, or uh, fulfill your vows to the Most High. Now, you probably don't think about vows a whole lot. A vow is basically a solemn promise. Uh, the most familiar thing we think of when we think of a vow is a marriage ceremony, right? You speak vows to your, your uh, about-to-be spouse. And, uh, and she or he, whichever the case may be, speaks them back to you. Um, how do I honor my wife and show love to her? One of the ways is by fulfilling the vows that I've made to her. Uh, so, as God's people, we need to do what we say we're going to do uh, for the Lord. Now, that involves obedience, but especially those things... Uh, that we say, okay, God, I'm going to do this. I pr I'm going to promise you that I'm going to do this. You need to make sure you do it. Now, Jesus said, uh, let your yes be yes and your no be no, for anything more than this comes from the evil one. And sometimes it's better to refrain from a promise than to speak a promise and not fulfill it. Uh, but what we say we're going to do for God is we do it. It is a way of worshiping him. Uh, it is a way of pleasing him, and God delights in that. Um, Samuel told Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. He, God's not so concerned about the offering that you offer. He wants to know that your heart is committed to him. We believe that in, in human relationships too, don't we? You promise your kids something, you, you, ought to, you ought to fulfill that promise or refrain. You know, my kids used to get so frustrated with me when they were little. Dad, can we fill in the blank? And I would say, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Well, are we or are we not? We'll see. <laughs> and, uh, and sometimes that's a way, you know, if you're tired and you don't want to think about it, you know, that's a way of putting it off. But, but uh, uh, one thing I didn't want to do is I didn't want to promise them things that I would be unable to do for them. Uh, so, uh, when you promise God something, fulfill it. We all, I think, surrender. We make a commitment of our life to Christ when we come to faith in Christ. We choose to live for Christ. We ought to fulfill that in our life. And as we do that, this obedience is an act of worship to God and it pleases Him. So, uh, the Bible speaks about God... Uh, seeing when we sit and when we rise. He's observing all our ways. And so as he observes us and he sees that obedience, he delights in that. Uh, he said to Job, uh, about Job, he says, Have you seen my servant Job? There's no one on the face of the earth like him. And, and God was delighting in the obedience and the godliness and the righteousness of Job's life. One great way to worship God is to live a life of obedience. And, and even to think of it. Uh, Paul said in one place, 
Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So what we do, whatever we do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, another scripture says. It, our lives, the actions that we take should be an act of worship. When I witness to somebody, it's an act of worship. When I serve somebody who's in need, it's an act of worship. When I give, it's an act of worship. Uh, all of these things that we do uh, please the heart of God as we do these things in obedience. So that's a great way to please God in worship. So first of all, uh, how do you uh, offer worship that pleases God? Praise your God, fulfill your vows. Thirdly, call out to your God. Isn't this an amazing thing? Look at verse 15. By the way, verses 14 and 15 are connected in the Hebrew. Okay, so these are all sacrifices. He's listing different ways to sacrifice to God. He says, call on me in a day of trouble. I will rescue you and you will honor me. God says, it delights my heart when you call out to me in prayer. Have you ever thought about God delighting in your prayers? You ever thought about God being excited? The best, the best illustration I know of this is a grandparent. I remember uh, Megan, Megan was the first grandchild on my wife's side, and she was the second on my side by one month. And so, talk about excited grandparents. I mean, there were some excited grandparents. And um, I remember uh, Sherry's, Sherry's mom saying, Oh, uh, she can have anything she wants, <laughs> you know. And they would, they would, they'd be going through the store, and they, you know, they just delighted to give things to her. They delighted, and uh, same thing when David came along. But uh, a grandparent delights to be in the presence of their grandchild. Our kids used to look like they were in mourning when Sherry's family would leave, because now they're stuck with mom and dad. So uh, the grandparent, they delight in being with the grandchildren. That's God's heart toward you. He delights. It's an offering to God. God says, listen, I, yes, I've told you to offer the bull. I have some reasons for doing that because it points to Christ. I have some reasons to, because it's an illustration that you're giving of yourself to me and you're worshiping me. But really what I really care about is when you come to me in prayer. It delights my heart. It's an offering that, uh, as Leviticus would say, a sweet smell in his nostrils. When we come to him in prayer, God just delights in it. Call on me in trouble. If I was God, I would have said, call on me consistently or don't call on me at all. Right? But that's not what God said. He says, call on me in trouble. He's writing to a bunch of people who are sinning against him, who are away from him. He's saying, look. I long for a relationship with you. Call out on me in your trouble, in your need. Let me deliver you and you will honor me. It's a delight of his heart. So, calling out to God is a way to worship him and please him. And of course, all of this is focused upon the Lord. Our service is focused, our praise is focused, and our call to him is focused. And then finally... Worship that pleases God. Not only praise your God, fulfill your vows, call out to your God, 
But finally, in, ver- in chapter 51, 16, come in your brokenness. Come in your brokenness. Look at verse 16. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. He then goes on to say that he'll, he'll offer those burnt offerings later on. So it's not that he's doing away with that. But he's saying, what you really want, God, found in verse 17, the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart. Now that uh, translation humbled and uh, is literally in the Hebrew crushed. A broken and crushed heart. You'll not despise it. God delights when we come to him in the brokenness of our sin. God delights when we come to him in the brokenness of our circumstance. It is an offering, a a sacrifice to him, a spiritual sacrifice. There's very little brokenness in the church in America. Very little. If you want to see what brokenness looks like, we don't have time to read through the whole chapter tonight, but go home and read Uh, Psalm 51 in its entirety, and you'll see what brokenness looks like. David is crushed. Not only is he crushed uh, with his own disappointment in himself, but he's crushed by the discipline of God. He says, Lord, your hand's been against me. He's crushed by the rebuke of a brother that loved him enough to tell him the truth named Nathan. He's crushed by the havoc that his sin has wreaked in his life. And he comes to God filled with regret, filled with sorrow, filled with the burden of his guilt upon himself. And he's saying, Lord, I'm a mess. I'm broken. I don't even know how to serve you. God, I need a heart transplant. I I need you to do some serious reconstruction in my life. I don't even have anything to bring to you, but God, I'm coming to you in my brokenness and in the emptiness of who I am, and I'm offering it to you, and I'm saying, God, do something with this mess. And God delighted to do it. Aren't you glad that God delights in us coming to him in our brokenness? The demoniac was a broken man, uh, living among the tombs, cutting himself with stones, but Jesus set him free. Mary Magdalene was broken. Zacchaeus was broken. Uh, You can look through through the scripture and see many, many cases of people who come to Christ in their brokenness. Not one time will you ever find somebody coming to Christ in brokenness, but he turns them away. 1 John 1, 9 puts it this way. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us. From all unrighteousness. Um, we do need to recognize though the seriousness of our sin. I think that's where brokenness comes. Is, is recognizing first of all how serious our sin is to God. Uh, David, David recognized that. Um, he says against you and you only have I sinned. But also... We need to recognize the damage that sin causes. It causes damage to us personally. The Bible says in 1 Peter 
uh, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against your soul. It actually damages your soul. You war against yourself sometimes in sin. Uh, it, it affects others around you. Uh, you remember the scripture where it says that God visits to the third and fourth generation of those uh, who, who sin against me and hate, hate me. Uh, and that's exactly what happened, right? When the Israelites went into captivity, God was punishing that generation and the sin had reached its full measure. He's punishing that generation, but guess who went with them? Their kids, who then had kids, who then had kids in, in captivity, undergoing consequences for the sin of that first generation. And so there's an effect of sin, it just, there's this ripple effect of sin. Uh, the, the Old Testament law uh, represented this in the clean-unclean laws. And if I'm unclean and I touch this pulpit, the pulpit becomes unclean. If you come by and touch it, you're unclean. If you go and hug a neighbor, they're unclean. And it's this idea of pollution, the pollution of sin. Sin is destructive. Ask Adam and Eve. They had a perfect relationship with God in the garden. They had no problems, no bad news. Then sin comes. Before long, they're standing at the grave of a dead son, thinking, how did this happen? Sin. Uh, the Bible says, uh, if we sow to the Spirit, we reap eternal life. We, the benefits of the eternal life that we have, we, we enjoy. But if we sow to the flesh... We reap corruption and destruction. Um, James says that uh, when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. When sin reaches its full measure, it produces death. Be not deceived. Sin is a horrible thing. Uh, I, I can remember... When Megan was little, we, I was teaching them the Ten Commandments, and, and I taught them, don't say, oh, my God, if you're not talking to God. And, you know, don't, don't uh, take God's name in vain. And, and we were watching this program, and somebody on the program says, oh, my God, they take God's name in vain. Megan was sitting on my lap, and she goes, oh. See, she hadn't yet learned to... Accept it. But oftentimes, because we're influenced by the culture and we're influenced by those around us, we don't take sin seriously. But sin is an incredibly damaging thing. The wages of sin is death. But hallelujah, God committed his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. For us, flip back a page with me. Well, I don't know. It may not be a page in your Bible, but uh, to the last verse of chapter fifty. Whoever sacrifices a thank offering honors me, and whoever orders his conduct, I will show him the salvation of God. Now that whoever orders his conduct, you have to supply the verb there. Um, and so there's a couple different ways you can translate this 
In Hebrew, it's, it's literally, and they're away. And so, um, and there, he orders his way. Or, and there, he will show a way. And I will show him the salvation of my God. Um, I, I believe there's a couple of things going on here. When we bring these sacrifices of God to him, there's a power in it. When we worship him in those things, there's a power in it. And oftentimes, it, we break through to victory in our lives. you got a, a barrier in your life, or maybe it's a, a spiritual growth barrier, or maybe it's a, a problem in your family. There's something about worshiping God. There's something about offering these sacrifices to God that helps us break through, and we find a way of deliverance. But it looks beyond that. He's saying, look, I, I've got... I'm, I'm telling you what delights my heart. I'm telling you the kind of worship that pleases me. But I want you to know that as you do this and as you're trying to trust me and follow me, I'm going to show you a way, the salvation of God. Can I tell you what Jesus said? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Worship that pleases God was only partial in the Old Testament because the veil was still there. In the New Testament, the Bible says when Jesus said, it is finished, the temple veil tore from top to bottom because God's way of salvation had been brought. And Jesus, in his penalty, taking the penalty for our sin, opened up the way for us to have fellowship with God as at no other time in history. Um, Hebrews says, because Jesus is this greater high priest, I'm summarizing here, but this is chapter 10. He says, let us draw near with a heart full of assurance. Listen, I can tell you something. Every time I draw near to God in prayer, I know that the veil has been ripped in two, that Jesus has made a way. I come not because of my own worthiness. I don't worship in my own worthiness. I come because I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Christ has satisfied the wrath of God for my sin and paid the price. So I can come with him with my, to him with my brokenness and my sin. I can come to him with my failures. I can come to him with my problems. I can come to him in worship or thanksgiving. Whatever it is, I can come to him and I can come with confidence because God has made a way in Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. This worship that we see in the Psalms, which is a great picture of worship for us, that is even greater now in our time under the new covenant, we're still just seeing the down payment here. The Bible says, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. What will it be like one day when the veil is taken away completely and we enter into God's very presence in heaven with no sin, nothing to hinder us, and we worship Him? I'm going to tell you, you talk about glory. The best revival service or worship service you've ever been in, the best, sweetest time with God that you've ever had, is nothing to be compared with what we will experience in worship with him. And it will all be about him.
What did they say in Revelation? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They're singing. And worthy is the Lamb to break the seals. And throughout Revelation, you see heaven crying out in a chorus of worship. How great and awesome and mighty is our God. What a time that will be. That's the main attraction as far as I'm concerned when we get to heaven. Worship that pleases God. How can we offer that worship that pleases God in the meantime? Praise your God. Fulfill your vows. Call out to your God. And come to God with your brokenness. And he will delight in it. And your sacrifices will be pleasing to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us the gift of worship. For being able to honor you as the great and awesome and mighty God that you are. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that makes it all possible. Thank you.